I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, an FA Cup semi-final weekend of two halves with a predictable starter, but a main course to remember, courtesy of the teams beginning with W Derby. We check in on the still-alive Premier League title race, a less-alive Fulham, and Meza Ozil, who channeled DJ Cool at Everton by saying, let me throw my coat. Plus, a look ahead to the Champions League, a whistle-stop tour around Europe, and the best away days we are capable of remembering. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility, where I'm joined by JJ Bull, looking at his iPad, but ready to go, without doubt. Yeah, I got it so I could draw pictures, it's really fun. What sorts of pictures? Oh, you got the pro! No, it's just normal. Oh. I, just, uh, I just like drawing stuff. Okay. <laughs> I'm a very simple person, really, deep down. That's good. That's good to know. I but know. capable of such complexity when it comes to discussing tactics. That's correct. And I will draw many tactics while we're do, doing this discussion that no one will see apart from me. Next to you, JJ, it is the infinitely complicated Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? Infinitely complicated indeed. <laughs> I'm all right. Thank you. Just preparing myself. Yes, you were preparing very well by playing uh, playing a game on your iPad. I just think these things relax you, you know. So yeah. I cook in a game, yeah. and you know, I don't actually cook in real life. But you know, cooking in real life is really stressful. It's no fun at all. No, I don't think so. No, Whereas think... this, you know, you can choose your ingredients and you're done. And you're rated for it with a real time updating score, which is what I want from every activity in my actual life. Finally, it's Sam Dean back in the seat. He has made his own on a sort of part time deal. How are you, Sam? <laughs> I'm I'm good. I was at the lesser of the two Epic Cup semi-finals. Oh, I'm this sorry. Weekend. So I'm a little bit upset about the the one I was given, but it was still a good weekend. I'm excited, happy to be here as always. Good, glad to hear it. Well, let's start with that more exciting of the FA Cup semi-finals: Wolves two, Watford three. This to me felt like one of the all-time great cup semi-finals. What did you make of it, Sam? I thought it was brilliant. I thought I, th- I thought Wolves did everything you would expect from Wolves uh, for the first, what was it, 79 minutes. And they controlled the game. Jota and Jimenez were brilliant up front. They looked so solid at the back. And it was going to take something really, really special to break them down in it. And that's what it was when Delafoe scored that sort of swazzy chip, which was just like outrageous, really. I mean, that was, we, we've always known how much of a talent he is and, and, he was always seen as this wonder kid at Barcelona who never quite made it, didn't quite have the consistency. But that was one of those moments that only a really top, 
top player can do that. It was just outrageous. I'm not sure I've ever seen a goal quite like that before. There was something so unusual about the way he hit that ball and the flight of it. Can you remember anything similar, Mina? How, how do you describe it? I was trying I like to think Swazzy. about it. You know, Swazzy, yeah, that is a good one. He scooped it in. Is it? Is it a dink? Is it a lift? I, I, I couldn't figure out how you would... What vocab you do? It's to a chip, definitely. It. It's because, definitely a chip. Yeah, yeah. and because it, it's a chip with no backlift, so he has to jump and he has to hop a little bit to get the um, the follow through and get make sure he's got enough weight on it. And yet it, he made it look so effortless. Yeah. The only time I've seen that technique before is when players post those clips on social media, them shooting from the corner flag, and when you try and sort of bend it from the, the corner marking into the goal and they always do that in training and you always see like you know Messi goes viral by scoring from behind the goal and stuff that's the only time I've ever seen a ball be struck in that way it's like a trick shot in a pool or something yeah it's like yeah. the follow through on, on the way he hit it that his legs sort of jutted out to 90 degrees afterwards because he's getting so much sort of cut on the ball which was amazing I thought it was one of the best goals I've seen this season by well come to be one of the best goals I've seen this season was it simply his substitution that changed the game in, in Watford's favour his introduction basically um, that, uh, other than the fact that also, you know, this is this is the really interesting thing because I actually really love both coaches, both Watford coach and of course Nuno Espirito Santo. But I was, it's a takes an art to play a final, and I was a little bit disappointed that Nuno sort of decided to be a little bit cautious towards the end. I, I wanted him to have the courage to just go all out because what are you going to lose? And I just think that it makes sense in hindsight that he would want to close out the game as well. So I'm in two minds about what he should have done. But Telefeu certainly was the man who came on and changed everything. And I think it's interesting because the whole premise about it was that he was so angry at not having started the match. It was sort of a punishment for the fact that he wasn't that great against Fulham. So it was like, you know, come on and do something super special. And he obviously did. And when uh, he spoke about his time at Barcelona and they say to him, you know, why didn't it work out? And he always said, oh, you know, it's mea culpa. I take most of the blame. I guess the problem is is that I was always better off the bench than when I was starting, and I think that he proved that last night. That's interesting. A a self-identified super sub. You don't get too much (laughs) of that. What did you make of Watford, JJ? Do you think that the manner of the way they got into this game might give them a bit more of a chance than they would have had otherwise against City? Uh, I don't know if that'll make a a big difference. It's an entirely different game, entirely different team you're playing against. Uh, I like the way they set up, uh, generally under Garcia, I think they've got some good players exactly where they should be in the league. They're kind of equal with the rules. I think they were a point that separated them, uh, well, separates them in the league. This is a cup game, obviously. Um, I think the final, like I said, is going to be a, a different game altogether. And Dini kind of, Troy Dini kind of said that afterwards when he came out and talked about how he uh, used to have to play, pay to play football 12 years ago or something. Now he's getting paid an awful lot more than that mm. <laughs> to be doing this. He was um, fantastic. Yeah, he was great and really important for um, for how Watford got into it as well, just getting stuck in. Also, what I thought was quite interesting is because um, it's Den Donker that gives away the, uh, the the foul for the penalty that he then smashes down the middle. But just a few minutes before that, a few moments before that, um, Dini went into a slight tackle and kind of rattled Den Donker as well right by the touchline and um, get up and told him to get up. He's not actually caught him. And uh, I wonder if that's in Donker's mind when he sees him coming in in the corner of his eye as he goes across and catches him. And if Donker goes with his left foot, he wouldn't wipe out Dini there. But obviously it's a pressure situation, so he goes with his right, stronger right, mm. and catches him. You would absolutely adore Troy Dini, I think, if you were a Watford fan. I loved what he said afterwards about Raul Jimenez being a loser so he can wear his, mask, <laughs> wear his wrestling mask now. When he's out. He said when Watford beat QPR in the, uh, the round before the quarters... And, uh, I mean, 
Of course they did. It was 1-0, Loftus <laughs> Road, uh, and the QPR fans were quite up for it. Uh, but Dini afterwards said, yeah, well, you know, this is their cup final. Like, just unnecessarily chippy. Uh, but I, 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 quite, I quite enjoyed that. Um, what about the mask celebration, though? Are we in favour of people bringing out masks to, uh, to mark scoring goals? I would say that was, it was too soon since <laughs> Aubameyang's mask. I think you need to space out your mask celebrations. It looked a bit like he was playing copycat. And I'm not saying he was. Wasn't that easy I'm just saying. Yeah. No, that was against that was against Wren uh, for Arsenal. That was only a few weeks back. Oh, okay. So, so how just, long do you think it's necessary? I just, I a couple of months. Give it a couple of months. I think you got if you want to own the Mars celebration, you got to you got to give it give it some space Is it between all the Mars. Did you get booked for a foreign object celebration? Uh, Aubameyang did. I don't think Jimenez did. I might be wrong about that. I'm going to. Check I also that. thought that that was a beautiful goal. I don't know. I mean, if I had scored that goal, I would whip out more than just a mask. I'd probably have a full, <laughs> like costume of it. Okay, that's uh, just, uh, on. Oh no, no. <laughs> no what I meant is, I'd probably have like a full-on costume that I'd put on at this point, or start taking a selfie with the crowds. I don't know. I just, I just thought that that was a really beautiful goal that he scored. Yeah, it was great. I, I couldn't. It's taken me until literally about. Um, 30 seconds ago to realise how he's onside for that goal it's the defender's foot is just exactly out. I had to zoom in like into the, the screen grab to see it so it's uh, good to have caught that because all morning I've been wondering how that happened why was Jota taken off why oh, he'd been running so much though he'd been covering so much ground like leading all those counter attacks he field. must have been this, just... is a, this is the semi-final I would have brought a Adama Traore on not because he's any good but because he's loads of fun and there's loads of space to run into at that point but he yeah. came on when they were when they were trying to uh, come back into the game having he's a real nuisance behind. to play against mm. so strikes like a little ball of power but not when you're not when you're chasing the game because there's no space and he was picking the ball up with like four men to beat which yeah, he's just not going to do whereas if you're 2-1 up say or 1-0 up and you bring him on which to be fair Nuno's done a lot this season he just destroys teams because he's got space to run into it makes but sense as well that it will to go a bit more defensive towards the end when I mean, you want to see out a, a 2-0 lead but they're not good when they do that. They're only ever really good when they have the foot on the well, accelerator. Uh, I, sort, I think I agree because they sort of lost their counter-attack threat. But then I'm not sure that was purely because of what... Um, uh, do you say Espirito Santo or can you say Santo? Nuno. To say Nuno. Okay, yeah. Nuno. I, don't, I think it's because not just because Nuno wanted to um, make them far more defensive and block everything up, but also Watford were just on it and the momentum had totally shifted. So you might as well put someone on, kill a bit of time and try and slow it down. And it hadn't been for that penalty... They would have seen it out. <laughs> I think it's it's bad for the final that Watford won. I don't what? mean that to sound as harsh as it does, but like City versus Wolves would have been a really exciting game. Wolves have been so good against the top teams this season, whereas Watford have been pretty poor against the big six. So you look at that and think it's probably more predictable and more straightforward for City than if Wolves had won. But as you say, Tom, the nature of that win I totally probably agree that. Like gives you a sort of psychological lift that even if they're 2-0 down with 10 minutes to go. Wolves played in exactly the, the way that Man City have lost when they've lost their games this season is against teams who defend in like a 5-4-1 but attack with three forwards mm. basically, and, and, and wing-backs. That's how they've lost their games this season. And Wolves are the best team I've seen of any team I've watched this season at doing that. So they would have given them a real scare in the final and they could have played exactly the same way whereas other teams have to change the way they play mm. to go against City. Because it's a final, they'll be at the top of their game which is why I think it'll I'd imagine City should beat Watford. Did Brighton try to set up in that way on Saturday, Sam, to deal with Man City? Well, it's hard to know because they conceded after three minutes. So <laughs> whatever game plan they did have probably went out the window a bit. But um, I thought Brighton were quite good, really. They, they To only lose 1-0 was no massive disgrace. No, not at all. And they actually gave a good account of themselves going forward as well. They, you know, they didn't just sit back completely and say, hold it until the 90 
you know, 85th minute, then try and nick a goal from a set piece. They did try and play and sort of counter-attack and get forward when they could. But the issue is they were... I mean, they never looked like they were really going to score. They had a bit of pressure, but you always felt like City were going to be able to absorb that. And then if the game went on for any longer, I think City would have scored a second rather than Brighton getting an equaliser. But that's what happens when you play against City because they're just better than everyone. And <laughs> sort of watching that game, it was pretty flat. The atmosphere wasn't... I mean, Brighton fans were up for it, but the City fans were all... You know, they hadn't sold out their section for various reasons and it's not entirely their fault, but it, it wasn't like a, a huge occasion. It didn't seem for the City team or the City players. I mean, the, the fact that Pep didn't even risk Aguero on the bench sort of gave an indication of the priorities. I mean, 10 years ago, an FA Cup semi-final for City would have been enormous, but now it's just like the kind of thing they do all the time and it, it felt like that for me being there. It's the least important priority that they probably have going forward this season. I don't know, actually. I mean, they want to win the league and the Champions League, I imagine, is where they're going to you know, put on their big bugs. But for me, it was... Um, what's interesting about City is, like, you know, I, I come from a Liverpool-supporting family and even though I have issues with, you know, Liverpool at times. But anyway... What they always say to me is, you know, why does everyone speak so highly of City considering, like, you know, there are also performances like the one against Brighton in which they're not that great. And I guess the feeling that you get with Brighton is that it's almost like a lack of motivation rather than they're almost just at this point thinking we don't need to try so hard. You know, we've scored a goal. If they get one back, you know that we can score another one. Whereas you do feel for Liverpool, they are really working hard to get out there. They're really you know, putting a shift in, they're trying to find their fluidity and then you see the goals being uh, scored and how they celebrate that and, and that's the difference. And I just feel like at this point, City have reached a point where it's just all a little bit like, let's just get through this and then we'll move on to the next one. And I was disappointed in the sense that they didn't try to do something a little bit more, but they can't always play at the highest level all the time. And I do think that despite all of that, every time Brighton tried to put in a vertical swift ball forward, they looked a little bit terrified at the back. So I didn't know why that that wasn't something they continued to do over and over again, because I still think that they're a team that when you do attack them in a direct and vertical manner, they can sometimes fall apart at the back because defensively they still have issues, especially when Fernandinho is not there. I'm not sure why anyone was that surprised about the empty seats. I realise that it's the sort of thing that football fans like to take the mickey out of other fans for. Um, but it's so boring, isn't it? Talking about, oh, you say you're a big club, but you haven't even sold it out. Like, honestly, who cares? Like, they're, I know. They're, like Manchester United and Liverpool are such so well-supported that they will always sell out Wembley. If you're more or less any other team in probably the top three leagues, you'll sell out Wembley because you get to do it so infrequently. Man City are basically the same as, say, an Everton or even, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, another team of that ilk. <laughs> they've, Wolves. They've been, well, thank you, Wolves. They've been to Wembley so often. It was a game against Brighton, which is not appetising for them. I, I think it, it just seems such a tedious point to be having a go at them for not selling out their relegation. I also saw folk on um, Twitter, it's where football ties into your identity as well, saying that, oh, well, we are... It, we, are, we lost, but we really won because we were behind singing 10 minutes after the final whistle. So, yeah, but you, your team lost. <laughs> um, you may not remember this, but uh, a few months back, after an FA Cup weekend, I was invited onto the podcast and proposed my theory of how to fix the FA Cup, which was basically ban any teams in Europe from entering in it or prevent teams in Europe from entering it. I think this weekend proved my theory to be uh, good because the difference in atmosphere, in entertainment, and in just general sort of feel between the two semi-finals was enormous. And if you replace City with, say, Everton, 
on that on Saturday. I think Everton v Brighton would have been a really engaging, enjoyable, packed out match. And I think that kind of proved my theory to be true. And I'm going to keep banging that drum until it happens. I think I'm on board. I think the only thing, other thing you could say is perhaps tickets should be City should be looking at subsidising tickets and making it far more affordable yeah. because it's obviously not affordable when you factor in transport from Manchester. And obviously the match shouldn't be in London. It shouldn't be at Wembley. Clearly. Obviously we know yeah, that, but clearly. that's the debate in it again. I don't know. It, it is always annoying to watch a game when there is such a superior team in terms of everything, in terms of talent and everything. But I think with Watford and Wolves is that it's rare you can get that where there's one point difference, there's similar teams, they sort of, you know, have similar ideals and a strategy and, and, and same level of talent. You're never really going to get that. Even if you do get Brighton against an Everton, I still feel like it could be a game that's pretty over pretty quickly. Maybe the support would be amazing, but I don't necessarily think the game would be that exciting. Mm. Quite possibly. Pep says winning the quadruple is almost impossible. What do you think about that? How many trophies do you think they're going to win this season with JJ? Uh, I don't know how many they're going to win. I want a number now, JJ. He has to say it's impossible. He's got to lower the pressure on his players. I mean, no, because I think he's actually speaking the truth. Like the yeah, fact that well, they are being like put with it's almost like now it's a disappointment if they don't win the four. And you know, like it's almost it's so hard to win that, including a Champions League that they've never reached the final in their history. Yeah. And so for them to be like, oh, it's the quadruple, it's like I feel sorry for Pep on this occasion because he's just like, guys, like one second, you know, this is almost impossible. And now it's going to be viewed as an, a failure if I don't manage it. Exactly, and it should be the, the best achievement anyone in England has ever 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 achieved absolutely yeah, that, they, the they could one. win the domestic treble that feels sort of fairly well, they, possible I think they should, no yeah. one's ever done that before and yet still as, as you say it might feel like a bit of a disappointment if they if they sort of crash out of Europe yeah they're, they're just a phenomenal team again I keep saying this but I think it's important to um, remember how good they actually are and it's really special to be able to see them just now because he'll only be here for another year or two maybe you know, one or two years and that's this team going and it's very it's very hard to... I know they've got all this money they've put into players, but not everyone is able to get the right players in and then make them play in such a nice way to win stuff. I've stopped enjoying watching them. Why? I just... I mean, you compare the way they played to the way perhaps Barcelona played. Yeah. It's just so much less exciting. and it's, it's so it's much, diff- it's I, think very it's form- I find it very formulaic. Obviously, in like a... Yeah in an aesthetically pleasing way, if you will, rather than, you know, not Tony Pulis formulaic, but it's a different sort of geometrical formulaic where they plaster the same patterns, make the same moves, score the same goals. And teams, I mean, Brighton, not so much this weekend, but teams aren't really going there and thinking we're going to get a result here. They just try and minimise the damage. And you look at the way teams compare playing City to playing Liverpool and they, they see Liverpool and they think, right, let's press them, let's go for them, let's see what we can do, largely. And then they go to City and think, oh, let's just try and keep it to two or three. Well, yeah, I, just find, I just find that like you watch the games and they're just kind of non-entities. It's not City's fault that everyone comes and sets up not to concede three goals. No, it's not City's fault. But I just means it just means that I don't find them very fun to watch anymore. Well, that no, is, I just, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, but you're right. I don't. I didn't enjoy like I always enjoyed sort of a Real Madrid and a Liverpool type of team because I like teams that are a little bit more vertical and direct in their nature. But it's exactly that when you watch City, you're a bit like. Hmm. you know, like, obviously they're going to win and it's going to be like this, you know, like these fantastic football. But I, I don't know. It's amazing how they are the best team and everyone is quoting them as the best team in Europe, but yet there's, they've still got so many flaws and I don't know why that's never spoken about because they know how to pass the ball really beautifully. But every team has flaws. I mean, there's no perfect team and like they want to be vertical, but they can't because other teams set up against them so they have to go sideways. It's not. I mean, it's, it's very can. difficult to break down those teams every single week, and it makes you very vulnerable to losing one nil against these, all these 
games where you have 80% of possession and concede, where you have 28 shots and then you lose 1-0. It's quite remarkable they've not really had that that often. The problem is, what I found with them is that they have a brilliant planning. But if they're strikers, if they're forwards and, and they're creative geniuses from David Silva, like we saw against Brighton or Kevin De Bruyne, aren't at the top of their game, they lose a lot of their beauty when they're playing that match. And defensively, I still think that they're a team that can be outdone. And they, and this is a Pep side for me when he was at Barcelona, when he was at Bayern now. That that's the defensive issue. When they are when their plan A goes to you know, goes to plan and they're all, you know, shooting and playing and, and, and like having the time of their life, then they are the best team to watch. But the problem with having this planning is that it's always got to be this beautiful side for them to actually dominate and impose their style of football and win the matches. Otherwise, I think that there's a lack of variety in their ability to defend against teams that play a different side of football. Should see them tested this week in Europe, which we will move on to a little bit later. But for now, let's focus on the Premier League. Big result for Liverpool on Friday night. They just keep getting it done one way or another. Salah now with 50 Premier League goals for Liverpool. How, how do you rate his season, Sam? I, I quite liked when he spoke about his own season after the Spurs win last weekend when he said... Uh, other players have scored the same amount of goals as me and everyone says they're having the best campaigns of their life whereas everyone says I'm sort of struggling this year which I think actually it came across a little bit pe- a little bit petty I suppose but I think it was quite a fair point uh, in that he has scored a remarkable amount of goals still just because it's less than last season doesn't mean it's a bad season um, obviously he's not been quite as effective and he, he he's looked a bit um, strained a bit, a bit trying too hard in the, last, in the last few weeks I think but it was a great goal against Southampton that was a proper sort of kind of goal you'd expect Salah to score and he was the kind of goal he was scoring last season and it was came at a crucial time in a, in a crucial game so you can't really argue with that in terms of importance and, and his sort of balls if you will Great work for him for, to slip away from the attention of the, his two teammates as well sold them a brilliant dummy in the celebration <laughs> yeah. afterwards uh, you're at Goodison on Sunday Sam you were not at Goodison on Sunday, Sam, uh, as that shake of a head indicates. <laughs> Nevertheless, you take a big interest in Arsenal. They're the club you cover the most. Yeah. What went wrong for them at Everton? Um, quite a lot, <laughs> I, w- I would suggest. <laughs> um, I think the fundamental problem was that they had Elneny and Guendouzi playing as a midfield two. Mm. Um, and you watch the game, and particularly the first half, everything just went backwards. They got the ball, and they got passed backwards. And it felt like Mustafi had the ball for like, 45% of the first half like he was just always on, in possession Everton were quite happy with that because he's not going to damage them and it seemed like they had no sort of forward thrust at all which I think is a natural consequence of missing Xhaka mainly in midfield uh, and you, you'd see the impact on that the knock-on impact of of that on Ozil and Mkhitaryan who were just like totally irrelevant and you could see Ozil in the, in, in the first half he was dropping back like alongside Socrates to pick up the ball and that's just not where you want Ozil playing from and it just there's no platform for him to do anything and there's no platform for Arsenal to do anything at all, really. And their away form is just such a big problem. And it's amazing how you can win. I don't, I don't quite, I'm not quite sure how this is. I, I've got a theory that em, Emery, when he when Arsenal play at home, Emery sets his teams up to damage the opposition. When they go away, I think he's too concerned or, or he becomes overly cautious and worried about what the teams could do to him or to do to Arsenal. And I think that they worry about stopping teams rather than how to damage teams and you saw that yesterday that 
it was cautious. It was El Nene and Guendouzi. It's not a creative midfield pairing. It's just like in any world. I but doesn't that make injury. sense if they're playing Mkhitaryan and Ozil to have those two? But you have to get the ball to Mkhitaryan and Ozil. Who's going to do that? Yeah, that's the problem. That was the issue. That it, the ball wasn't getting to those positions. So Ozil was coming deep and there was no one further forward to create and it just sort of got worse and worse. And the, it only got better when Ramsey came on and he wasn't fully fit to start the game. And you look at that and think, it's troubling that Ramsey and Xhaka are the only ones who can play in that position and sort of create... In 2016, Sevilla, under Emery, didn't win a single away game. Mm. And it's funny how Sevilla were quite famous for being a team to be reckoned with when they were in the Sanchez Pichuan, but never when they were away from home. And it's almost like he's doing the same thing now with Arsenal, with their away form. And obviously it's the same problem for Arsenal last season, so we can't take all the blame for that. But I mean, That's true. What, what did you make of the coat-throwing incident, JJ, from Herzl? <laughs> I thought it was great. I don't know what he hoped to achieve with it. I mean, it's not going to... Why throw it? <laughs> it's I just think a it's... weird thing to do, isn't it? There it's a, like... Real, like, a real child, childish strop, I think. It's yeah. a proper, like, got to primary school on a day I don't want to be there and I no longer want to wear this coat. I bet he regretted it as soon as he did it as well because he knows it looks so silly. There was a Maybe good line... I don't think he thinks... I think he thinks it looked really good. Like, he showed all this passion <laughs> on the sidelines, you know? Like, he was just this this captain that was so upset with the result, you I think know? it's more likely he didn't think at all. <laughs> just, can we, just can we mention and- Andre Gomez and, and oh. Calvert-Lewin? Because I just... I feel like that was... Calvert... You know, Damon Calvert-Lewin is just... He's just showing you exactly what you're supposed to do at the front, playing as a forward, if you're not scoring the goals, which would be ideal because he doesn't really have that in his arsenal at the moment, but if if he can just get that on board, he does everything that I love a forward to do. I've always been fond of those types of forwards that work really hard, that do everything like, you know, sacrifice themselves, try to occupy the right spaces, always deliver for their teammates, holding up, you know, um, the ball, weaving past challenges. He's really an exceptional, hard-working player up front. And when you have Andre Gomez as well, that they really need to keep hold of, it just shows you the difference between Everton's midfield by having somebody there and, of course, what Sam was mentioning in Arsenal's midfield. Andre and Gomez is just sensational. He's, just sensational. he's got that great combination of devilish good looks and um, like te- <laughs> technical skill. He's, he's just outrageous. Say, say it like you mean it, Sam. He's a dreamboat. <laughs> really ropey at Barcelona. Um, it just couldn't get into games at all. Mm. Couldn't, didn't, he wasn't able to show any of his technical ability uh, regularly. It was easily bullied off off of it, and I didn't think he'd be able to cope in Premier League. Cause it's so physical. It seemed like it's, he was brilliant in the, the European Championship. I think before when he played mm. for Portugal, and I thought he was great. It was a great signing. But then, like I said, just didn't. He's perfect for the Premier League because the, it is physical. It's more physical than that. But what you do have more in the Premier League is is the space that you don't get when you're playing for Barcelona against Spanish teams. Um, it's a little bit... Uh, you have less time, though, on the ball. You have less time on the ball, but he's a quick thinker. So for him, it suits his p- particular paro- like particular skills in the sense that he reacts very quickly and there's more space for him to do the damage that he can. Whereas at Barcelona, also it is Barcelona, mm-hmm. so sometimes that can be of, of a psychological effect. But I, would, I always wanted him for Juventus at the time. We really went for him. And obviously now he's, uh, he's somewhere where... He's just doing so. Well, Matt, Matt Law reported last week that Tottenham wants him for about 30 million. I think he'd be 
brilliant signing for them. I think it'd be a great signing for Arsenal. To be honest, I think it'd be a great signing for pretty much anyone. anyone Everyone's in, looking for that kind of midfielder. Anyone in the Premier League the apart from apart from probably City. I don't, I don't, you know. Oh, and they take Madison too. Oh yeah, our friend of the podcast, James Madison. Let's talk about Fulham. They are now relegated. Can you think of any more disastrous Premier League campaigns than the one Fulham has just had? I realised Dar- I realised Derby went down with the record low points, but the only one I can think of is my own QPR when they tried to sign. The best, uh, the all-star team from Pro Evo 2007, and realised that wasn't a good way to have a football team in, in 2012. But um, it, it did not go well for them this year, JJ, did it? <laughs> no, and people talk about all the money they spent, and it was all at the front end of the pitch. And it seems like the, the, what Wolves have done is keep the core parts of their team intact. But I mean, Fulham kept their defence the same. No, really? Well, they spent like twenty million on Mawson. They bought Maxine Lamarchian. Mawson's been injured; has been a problem. Yeah. But they bought the Maxine Lamarchian. Terrible. Uh, Joe Bryan, not really Premier League level. Yeah. Got Fossey Mentor on loan. Terrible. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, they were sort of they, they tried to rebuild their defence and ended up having to go back to Adoy. Terrible. And Tim Ream, not Premier League. So you can see the sort of fundamental issue there. I mean, I think the. I mean, we said this before in the pod, but when you when you strip a team of its of its character and its identity and all the players who got you up. You need to make sure you're replacing them with players who yeah. can really lead a charge. And they just, I mean, the likes of Seri and Anguissa, I mean, just been laughable really in terms of their attempts to galvanise or, or become leaders, which they're just not. And um, yeah, I think, as you say, Tom, this has been pretty disastrous from day one. And now it's going to be interesting to see what happens next because at least half that squad, I think, is going to be going to be gone next year. So the rebuild's going to be pretty dramatic again. What about Burnley? They beat Bournemouth uh, very well down at Dean Court. Bournemouth have lost their last four games at home. One win in nine in total. They seem really streaky to me, Mina. They, they, they seem like a team we get on a really good run. Often at the beginning of the year, everyone talks about how great Eddie Howe is, and then it all goes to pot often towards the end of the year. Why is that? Yeah, it's strange. I don't know whether they just... I mean, they're a team when I watch them that are just so susceptible to all these individual errors. And it's almost like they can't seem to concentrate for a significant significant portion of the time to just secure results and score the goals. And it's either Begovic making a mistake or Mefim clearing the ball right into the direction of Westwood. Or it, it, It's bizarre. And he looked so despondent on the, on the bench, Eddie Howe. He looked like he was just going to cry. And he came out afterwards and said, they've just lost their identity. So I don't know whether they just switch off. I don't know whether there's just a case of, because we know that they're technically good players. We know that when they are playing at the level that we expect of them, like we saw earlier in the season, they can put it together. They can produce great spectacle of football. But for some reason now, it's just error after error. And at times, they're almost lucky to get away with only conceding one or two. And, and I don't know whether that has something to do with concentration, whether he can no longer um, put forward his strategy and for it to be absorbed by the team. I don't know. It's a lack of aggression. And I think that when they get to this stage of the season every single time, they're safe. They're pretty much safe. And so you lose that extra percent that is the real difference. So Burnley are not safe. They're very close to being pulled into that relegation spot. So they've got far more to play for. And it sounds very basic, but I think that's what happens. The players go in and they're revved up because they know if they, if they make a total mess of this, their whole careers are going to go just terribly straight after. But Bournemouth now sort of, eh, it's be fine. And playing against teams like Burnley is not fun. You don't want to get mm. like headbutted in the face by uh, <laughs> some massive, like Ashley Barnes. Like, you know, there's fridge freezers flying at you everywhere. So you don't, you're not totally on the ball for this. And Bournemouth play nice football, but they're not going to reach Europe. So you might as well just have a bit of fun. 
And it's only 3-1, you know, ah, who cares? They're going to be there next year. I can try next year until about February when they realise not getting to Europe again and the same thing will happen. Fridge freezers flying everywhere. I think we're watching different games, JJ. (laughs) Leicester looking very good under Brendan Rodgers. Sam, big win for them at uh, Tragic Huddersfield. Leicester play Man City in the penultimate game of the season. Is this the year that Brendan Rodgers finally wins the league for Liverpool? Oh, oh. Think... <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't all my questions greeted by that? So? <laughs> uh, I think stylistically, Leicester would cause City problems. I mean, you look at the way that Rodgers have got them playing with basically surround Madison with pace and let him play through balls, which is what he does best which is um, you know it's causing problems for teams already you've got Gray, Barnes, Vardy all running around and just hitting the you know over the top and just being difficult and getting in the way I think that's that's been uh, really encouraging for them and obviously Yuri Tielemann has been excellent too um, they play like City they're the same sort of shape he did it as Celtic as well you start with a four at the back but really it's a three you make a little diamond and then one of the fullbacks uh, goes bombing up the pitch Chilwell does it a lot mm. And then you get more players in attack and it all rotates depending on where they are. They're basically playing the football that the fans wanted Puel to play. If you have Tillemans and you have Madison, then I think that Brendan Rodgers is doing a really good job of extracting that potential and that creativity and just making a more progressive side on, on, on the offensive level. Whereas before, when you have sort of holding midfielders all the time and it just seems to not suit the talent that, that Leicester have, especially when they're trying to move away from this counter-attacking style of football and produce something that's a little bit more aesthetically pleasing, then I think that he's the right coach to get the best out of Tillemans who suffered in Monaco under Hadim also for playing sort of a cautious style of football, and uh, obviously James Madison. Wonderful, wonderful James Madison. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Let's talk about the Champions League, which comes back into our life this week. Man United, Barcelona, pretty clearly the tie of the round, I would say. Can you convince me this is going to be anything other than a Barcelona win, Mina? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I could try. Uh, Okay, look, the one thing that I think is interesting about Barcelona is that they are flying high in La Liga, largely because Atletico are also really disappointing, as as have been Real Madrid. I think they're defensively still vulnerable. You still need, like, uh, sometimes Gerard Piquet to pull off a, a magnificent tackle or for their goalkeeper to come in and pull off a save. They are still a team where... Suarez hasn't been excellent um, going forward for in the Champions League. Perhaps if you try to get Messi out of the game, then you have more of a chance. But I'll be honest, this is a pretty good team. <laughs> right, we're going to put Barcelona through in that tie. Uh, what about Manchester City versus Spurs, Sam? Uh, obviously, this game takes place at Spurs' new ground. How many goals head start do Spurs get for uh, building such a nice new stadium? I'll tell you what... Um, Kevin De Bruyne was not having any of the stadium chat after the semi on Saturday. He was sort of put to him twice about like, oh, you know, significant atmosphere is going to be difficult. And uh, he, just, he just took it really badly. He was like, everyone has a stadium. Everyone has supporters. <laughs> Which is, wow. Like, it was like, like City fans on Twitter. Yeah. By the way, in my, when I was listening to that, I was like, uh, no one in Italy has a stadium and we barely have supporters, but sure. <laughs> But he was basically saying it's going to make no difference at all and it might, you know, wouldn't affect him whether it's at Wembley or, or the Spurs new stadium or wherever, which I fundamentally disagree with because if you look at the game they lost in the Champions League last season, this time last year, which was at Liverpool in a notoriously raucous atmosphere, they got battered 3-0 in the first half and they couldn't handle that. 
you know, the white hot heat of Anfield, as they call it. And I mean, and then it was put to De Bruyne again saying, you know, what have you learned from from that game last year? And he said, uh, nothing, different teams, different games, different seasons. And I just thought, well, there actually are quite a few comparable things on this. You've got an English team who, who know how you play, have their own style and have a, you know, an atmosphere which is going to be crackling. And I just think maybe he shrugged that off a bit too quickly. I don't know. I mean, I think that the one thing that Liverpool did last season that, you know, any for me, any Pep side always struggles with is those sides that play really direct, fast-paced football. Rock and roll has always brought down Pep. And I don't know whether Spurs have it in them. So in that sense, you, you're right in the fact there are so many similarities that they know, obviously, the team, that they understand how to play against them, that it is an English side. It has talent. It's a new stadium. It could be very, um, you know, it could be buzzing, but... I still think that the way Spurs play their football, it gives City much more of a chance than if they were facing a side that plays such aggressive, attacking football. Liverpool take on Porto, JJ. Jurgen Klopp says that he won't take this game too lightly, nor will his players, because they're too greedy for success. Are you buying that? Yes. I mean, well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Porto are the team that everyone said they wanted, but often that turns out to be the worst thing that could possibly happen. Uh, Who's that good guy? narration. The football cliche guy, mm. Adam Harry. Yeah, uh, Liverpool. Like he's doing a documentary. <laughs> well, Liverpool got the final last season, as we all remember, and they should absolutely get through. But I don't know. I mean, it's exactly the kind of team that you'd imagine would upset Liverpool because they might have that underestimation of them. I think Ajax are a really good team as well this this year. Are you very worried about Ajax, Mina? I think they are um, because they won't have Ronaldo. They're basically playing like all their substitutes because they've got a lot of injuries going forward. and But they do have a little kid in Wise Ken who can make the difference at the moment. And um, look, Ajax move a lot and very quickly. And that scares teams like it- Italian sides that are a little bit more static in their nature. Hello, I'm Brian Moore and I'm the host of Brian Moore's Full Contact. Each week we get the biggest and best names from the world of rugby to dive into every ruck, maul and TMO decision. No-nonsense analysis covering the Six Nations, the World Cup, the Premiership, Pro 14, Premier 15s and everything in between. Search for Brian Moore's Full Contact on your podcast provider. Hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss out and every Tuesday morning we will be there ready for your commute to work. That's Brian Moore's Full Contact, available from wherever you download your podcasts. What's that sound you can hear? Yes, it is the theme tune to A Song for Europe featuring Mina Rizuki. Mina, mm. der Klassiker, mm. Auf Deutschland, yeah. mit der Borussia Dortmund collapse. They fell to pieces in the first half against oh, Bayern Munich. What went wrong for them? The momentum surely now is all Bayern Munich's. It's strange because uh, it is it is all Bayern Munich's now. Coming into this match, it was like we didn't know whether Bayern were favourites or there would be, at least be a draw. I don't think that we thought that Dortmund would win this because they were missing Paco Alcacer, who makes you know who scores the big goals in these types of matches. Um, it's also because Bayern did draw. Then they then they conceded to a team that's in the second tier of football midweek, and then you just thought about them and they looked vulnerable. You look at their their 
how their performances have been in the big matches, whether it be against Liverpool, whether it been against Dortmund in the first uh, in the early stages of the season against Ajax, and you think they haven't done too well in these big matches, but they had a point to prove on a psychological level. I think with Bayern they were just going crazy at the criticism being aimed at them, so they went all in, aggressive, high pressing, all energy, dynamic action, and I think that it just caught Dortmund offside. Uh, you know Dortmund. And they just didn't know how to react as well. A lot of young players in that team in Dortmund. Yeah. Especially Kanji and Zagadou had an absolute nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Loads of mistakes. The second goal was the ball was just passed. Um, I can't remember which centre-back it was. Passed it straight to Lewandowski. Just ran through and goal. Really well taken. But you can see everywhere. Everyone was scared at the first touch. Even Sancho's first touch was going all wrong. When the pressure gets to you, I guess that's what happens. Your touch goes. And you saw away. that with them against Dortmund as well. They do. They are susceptible to collapses when they start thinking that they're no longer self-assured, mm. and that's what happens, I guess, when you have a, a young team. What about the aforementioned Moise Ken? He has had quite mm. a spectacular couple of weeks. Seven goals in seven games. How's he been viewed in Italy? Oh, Moise Ken, what a week he's had. Um, I think that Italy was a little bit taken aback by the international outrage at like Leo Bonucci's comments at the time. Obviously, he suffered racist abuse in the match against Cagliari. Despite that, despite the fact that he just turned uh, 19 and is being taught how to react, I mean, it's just disgusting. Really. Bonucci should be cancelled. Uh, I agree. I agree. And and to be honest, I, I wasn't that thrilled with what Allegri was saying either. I just I agree I, with that as well, yeah. It's yeah. weird how that, that shows exactly the subconscious nature of a lot of racism, where Bonucci comes out after the game straight away and then says, well, it's, you know, it's half his fault for going up and goading the fans but didn't completely missing the point of how no one should ever ever be uh, th- thinking it in the first place. No, and not only that, it's like, you know, you would think that the guy did what Cholo Simeone did in the match against, you know, Juve or something. How is that a provocative celebration, you know? And and I f- think that despite that, I mean, he is just 19. Like, give the kid a break, you know? And like, don't tell him what to do. Don't tell him how he's supposed to do anything. He was more than... Uh, you know, courteous throughout the whole thing, despite how he was listened to. And if he didn't want to be courteous, then you know what? If I was there, I would have probably done 15 times worse. It was the reaction of that. It was the reaction of Cagliari. It was the fact that they'd done this before to Blaise Matuidi and Juventus. And despite everything that this boy suffered, once again, this guy has scored for the Italian national team in the qualification matches. He scored for Juve in regular matches. And now he's scored against Milan, who played the game of their life on the weekend against Juventus. And it was him who provided the winning goal. And it's just his movement. He, there's still that he needs a lot to be improved on a technical level. But intelligence, movement, determination, mentality, he's got it all. Good to know. What about Diego Costa, Mina? He reached peak Diego Costa in the Atletico Barca game over the weekend. What happened there? Uh, did you uh, hear what he was supposed to have said? I don't think that you can uh, say this on air. Uh, but basically, <laughs> we'll get the out. what's so interesting is that so many people who were like, you know, watching this game were like, what's the big deal? He always swears. Everyone always swears at the referee in Spain. Why is he being sent off? And he basically spoke uh, to the referee in, in very aggressive tones about defecting on his mother and stuff like that and referring to her as, you know... Defecating on his mother? Defecating, that's it. My goodness. Mm. Sorry, what did I... Did I say defecting? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, defecating. It's a, it's a weird political move. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, he just basically lost the plot. There was no need for him to do that. He obviously hasn't had a fantastic season. 
this this year and uh, I think he's only scored two in the league there's a lot of that being frustration at um, Atletico Madrid's performances in the Camp Nou Cholo Simeone has always found it difficult to to get the win there um, I don't think he's actually ever won there and he always loses a man to a red card <laughs> at least most of the time so there was a lot of frustration in this game and if they haven't had Antoine Griezmann this season, I really don't know where they'd be because they haven't been the Atletico that I know. Obviously solid at the back when they want to be and they've been good, don't get me wrong, but they have always the potential to be great. Um, the fact that Morata's already outscored Diego Costa tells you everything you need to know about the season he's having. Good song. Thank you very much, Mina. Sam Dean is with us, so we bring back the beloved section of the podcast known as Dino's Fun Bag. It's yeah. six esoteric topics determined by the roll of the die, which one we're going to discuss. I'm about to roll the die now. Here we go. It's a giant die, to be pointed out. It's massive. It's number three. Oh, and relevant. The, the topic is why a dink is very, very, very different to a chip. JJ, would you like to start? I know exactly. I can I can end this with this three sentences. So a lob... <laughs> So a lob is Karl Poborski versus Portugal in Euro 96. Disagree. Where he scoops it <laughs> with his foot. You just said the word there. You said scoop. It's a scoop. It's a lob. A scoop and a lob is not... No. You don't see a scoop shot. You see a lob. It's a lob. A chip is Davor Suker versus Denmark at Euro 96. Agree. Three, three chips, Kasper Schmeichel. Kasper? Peter, Peter Schmeichel, I should say. My mm. word. And a dink is what Lionel Messi does every time he gets close to the goalkeeper. Where you just leave it to the last possible second and you just sort of give it a little dink. A little Adjudicate nudge. for us, Sam. Uh, I loosely Using agree only with... examples yeah, from Euro what about, 96. What about the foot? Like, how does the foot go down on the... Is there a difference? It's all off the laces. I, I have little chips. similar but slightly differing definitions. Uh, a dink can only be a dink if it's over a goalkeeper that is falling to your feet or sliding down <laughs> low. You can't dink a standing goalkeeper. That's true. So therefore a chip... Has to be over a standing goalkeeper. So Delafeo's goal this weekend is a, is a chip. chip. Davos Suko against Schmeichel, as you said correctly, I would it's say, a chip, yeah. is a chip. A lob, there's, 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 a, there's a fundamental difference here. A lob, if it's close range, has to be on a bouncing ball. Perez against Schmeichel, Arsenal v Aston Villa. For I accept that as a lob. That's a lob, so a you, volley lob. A volley, a, 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 lobby. a volley lob is a lob in my books. But if you go beyond, say, 30, 35 yards out, then you can strike the ball from the floor and it can be a lob. Beckham against Beckham is Wimbledon a is a lob. It's He's too far out him. to be a chip. Doing the big work on the Audio Football Club <laughs> podcast. I, look for, I think we need a flowchart, Sam. Put a flowchart <laughs> on your Twitter and we'll take it from there. Finally. <laughs> oh, my God. It's very, this stuff really matters. Uh, we need to get Adam Hurry in, football cliches. He's the master at this stuff. What about when they say, you know, you chip the goalkeeper on a penalty? Does that mean he's already falling down or not? A chip, or he's a chip penalty is surely a Panenka. Yeah. That's what you think, right? I reckon so. So then yeah, it's wrong to say he chipped him, right? I, I think so. I think you've got to use Panenka as a verb. Finally, Lincoln City took an incredible 5,500 fans to Milton Keynes on Saturday for a football match against MK Dons. I want to know, Mina, what is the best away day you've ever been on? God, I'm sorry. I don't remember any game I've been to as an away fan. No. You've already done. You've already done your Fulham anecdote as well, haven't you? When they were all really nice to you. Yeah, they were really nice to me. Oh, that was the only away yeah. game that I've been to. I've always been the home fan. Okay, well, you know that's. that's I know I've that's been. That's what Italy's like. Zero points for you, Mina. If we're scoring it, which we're. <laughs> oh, I can not. tell you. Okay. Oh, here we go. I. I mean. Listen, I, I rarely go as a way fan because I have like a lot of fear as a as a anyway as a woman and stuff. But I went to Juventus, uh, Milan versus Juventus, and I was obviously an away fan. And somehow I ended up in the VIP 
room, but not because I was a VIP, but because I was genuinely lost. <laughs> yeah, And somehow they let me in, maybe because I don't know. But the one thing he did was say to me, can you show me your necklace? And and I didn't understand why, but I, I showed him my necklace and he was looking for a butterfly. And then I was told afterwards that butterflies had a special meaning to Berlusconi. So I won't go into it, but basically I still wow. was allowed in. <laughs> Wowza. Sam, I imagine your Where do these tail... lawyers come from all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> I imagine your... I don't know what it means. I'm not, you know, speculating. I'm just saying to you what happened. Sam Dean, I assume your away day tale is basically the same as Mina's. <laughs> it actually could not be more different. Um, <laughs> so the ball boys. This is, this is not me travelling as a fan, because I'm not an Arsenal fan, but um, the... It's just travelling as a journalist. I'm going to count that because I think it's a better story. Uh, Oster- just, just proves you're not a proper football fan. It's fine, mate. Go on. <laughs> uh, Ostersen's away last year, which is in northern Sweden, got there and people were skiing past me on the pavements in the high street, which was, which was, which was particularly cool. But um, oh. I stayed. The hotel's spaces were somewhat limited, as you can imagine, in a small town in northern Sweden. So I stayed in an Airbnb, which was on a farm, and it was literally in the middle of a field, snow-covered field. <laughs> And I got there and the hosts were very generous and kind and they walked me around and showed me the goats in the farm and the sheep. And I lived a proper rural life in Sweden for two days. And the next day I had breakfast made from their homemade milk and cereal and homemade granola. And it was was the most incredible experience and it was all there for a football match. Fantastic. As an away day. But way too wholesome. JJ, I want some absolute (laughs) filth from you to finish us off. I've never been to an away game. What? (laughs) Well, I have done is I've been to lots of semi-finals and finals. You've never been to see Aberdeen away? No, I never have the time. I always have to work weekends. All my jobs I've ever had I worked at Mm. weekends so I can't do it. I was doing it when I was younger but you're too young to go away really when you're 14, 15. But uh, I, I still count going to semi-finals and finals at Hamden as an away game because it's always against Rangers or Celtic who have you know, you're in Glasgow anyway so it feels like a home game I mean Hamden's not far from Ibrox anyway but the, uh, the thing about it is you get all revved up for these games and you're all having a few lovely bevs before the game uh, having a lovely time dancing singing around uh, in that voice that everyone does when they sing no one does that at karaoke do they like, having a nice time <laughs> And then you've had oh, your whole day, you've been playing it for ages, and then you're, you're happy and merry, get into the ground, sing some songs, kick-off goes, and then five minutes later you're 1-0 down, then 2-0 down, and the whole point of going there is gone. It's, uh, these things can slightly, like very quickly become not fun at all. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of my QPR away days. What's, the, what's the best one? Yeah, then? what about you? Uh, I went to Huddersfield with Palace last year, and it was about this time of year, and maybe about a month earlier. Yeah. You weren't supporting Huddersfield? Second week of March, I wasn't supporting Huddersfield, I'm afraid, Mina. Uh, and it was ridiculously cold. It was about, it sort of was zero technically, but the feels like was about minus six, absolutely pelting it down with snow. Huddersfield's a delightful place, had a nice drink beforehand, watched Palace win slightly unexpectedly. It was the, the year, obviously, last season when they had that terrible start. So there's nothing like going away. Because no one, if you unless you're one of the big clubs, you never expect to win away. So when you do, it's just the best day of your life, always. And they had a brilliant song about Aaron Wambasaka, which they still sing. Poor That's it. Of how many away grounds have you been to now? Uh, I went to my 80th of the 92 last weekend. Oh my five. god! It's a life of sorts. That's a lot for this week's Audio Football Club. You can contact me in the meantime if you want to, at Tom with an H Gibbs. You can send us an email too if you like. The address is afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. We will read out the very best of what you send us. 
Don't forget to subscribe. Just look for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you usually look for your podcasts and take it from there. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.